If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King. I want to welcome our Bellingham campus. We're glad that you're here. And a special welcome to our Ferndale campus as well. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I don't like spiders and snakes. I don't have a phobia about either one of them. I just don't like them. If you bring one around me, I will not scream like a seventh grade girl. I just don't like them. If my daughter comes to me and says, Daddy, could you come into my room and remove the eight-legged creature from the corner of my room? No problem. I'll go in and take care of that little spider. No problem at all. I just don't like them. I think people who like spiders and snakes are weird. I think if you like them, I think you're in need of therapy. I have no idea why somebody would like or choose to like something that has eight legs or smells with their tongue. I just think it's completely wrong. For the record, I don't like cats either, all right? <laughs> don't write me an email. It's not my fault. You can't see the truth about spider snakes and cats. All right, so. <laughs> For the next nine weeks, we are not going to be talking about cats, but we are going to be talking about a snake a lying snake. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to pray. Because we're going to be walking into enemy territory. The enemy is not happy about this series. He does not want us to tell the truth. And if you're a praying person, I'd invite you to be praying along with me. We're going to be talking about a lying snake. We're going to be talking about how a lying snake uses a web of deceit to try and twist our understanding about God. He's been doing it for years. Let me share with you about the identity of this lying snake, or as it says in your outline, the identity of the liar. Jesus is talking to a group of religious neatniks, a group of people who think that, that, that all of their little tidy answers are all tied up with nice little bows. And then he actually says that they're related to the devil. Okay, just for the record, it's not good when Jesus says your dad's the devil, all right? Now, some of you are thinking bad thoughts about your father. Don't, all right? But here's what Jesus says in John 8, to a group of religious people. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, you notice it doesn't say if he lies. It says when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The liar we're going to talk about... Is, is, he's been known by many, many names over the years. Satan, Beelzebub, Lucifer, the devil. As soon as I say that name, images begin to jump into your brain. Some of you think of Genesis 3 and you picture a serpent or a snake. Some of you get another picture. You visualize a, a guy in a red suit with, with red scales and a, and a pitchfork and a bifurcated tail. That's my new word for the week. You should use it this week. A bifurcated tail it means a split tail. You could say that in conversation with people, use the word bifurcated, they'll think you're way smarter than you actually are. Awesome word, okay? All right? The Bible says the devil's real, that his native language is lies. That means this, he's lied to you in the past, he's lying to you right now, and he's going to lie to you again in the future. He loves to spin a web of lies that twist your understanding about God. Satan has some tools that he uses to entice us to try and draw us in, to, to, to believe the lies that he actually uses. And over the next nine weeks, we're going to talk about some of the lies that he says to us and some of the lies that we tell ourselves because of the lies that he's spoken to us. But before we get to that, let's talk about the tools of the liar's trade. 
What does he use? He uses temptation. Mark chapter 1, verse 13. The Bible says Jesus was taken into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. Satan tempts us to do our own thing, to reject God, to kind of just chalk it up to our own plan and to follow our own path. He tempts us to make decisions that, that serve ourselves instead of serve God. He entices us with half-truths and empty promises. He uses temptation. Secondly, he uses accusation. Revelation 12.10 teaches us that Satan is the accuser of the believers, that he literally stands in front of God day and night accusing you of everything you've ever done wrong. He accuses us of past failures, of, of being weak, of having doubts, of doubts, about not doing enough of the right thing and never doing all that other stuff, right? We get caught up believing and we actually do so much of the wrong thing that we don't even know where the accusations are coming from. Some of them for him, some of them are self-loathing towards ourselves. He uses condemnation. Zechariah 3.1, that passage shows us a picture of a godly man being condemned by Satan who accuses him of just not being godly enough. Praise God that Scripture also says that for those of you that are in this room that know Jesus, that there is no condemnation for you. What else does he use? The next tool is influence. John 13 tells us that the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. The devil, he influences us. He impresses thoughts on us, tries to make us make bad decisions. Now, let me make this abundantly clear, all right? Let, let's just get this one out of the way right from the beginning. The words and the excuse, the devil made me do it, it's a cop-out. You make your own decisions. Don't try and blame shift that one. Now, he will try and entice, impress, try to get you to make a wrong decision, but ultimately, the decision's up to you. The buck stops here. What about devastation? John 10.10 10 describes Satan as a thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, my friends, do we actually get this? Do we understand that the devil's trying to steal the life that God intended for you? Do you understand that he wants to kill your faith, that he wants to destroy your hope and your peace? Do you understand that he so desperately wants to devastate you to your core? It's the last tool. I would call it deceit. Let me read for you just for a moment, a moment in Scripture when the enemy came and spev, spev, or spun a web of lies. It was the very first time that a human being ever got sucked into one. Her name was Eve. Her husband's name was Adam. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see this crafty serpent up to his new tricks at this point. It's not in your outline. It's not going to be on the screens. Just listen to what Genesis 3 says. Okay, here it comes. Now, the serpent was more crafter than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You'll not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. 
This account in Genesis contains the oldest lie in the book, and it's the lie that we're going to unpack tonight. The oldest lie in the book is this, you can't trust God. That's the lie. You can't trust God. That's what the enemy wants us to believe. God can't be trusted. God can't come through for you. God's not going to answer that prayer. God doesn't even like you. God makes promises and they apply to everybody else in the room, but they don't apply to you because you're different. You're more broken than everybody else. You just can't trust Him. The enemy will go so far as to say, don't trust God because if you do, you're just going to end up disappointed. If you read Genesis 3 closely, you can actually discover the anatomy of a lie inside of it. You can actually dissect it and pull it apart. Here's the first part. It's listed in your outline as an anatomy of the lie. It goes like this. He tempts you to doubt God's Word. That's the first part. Doubt God's Word. Do you see what he asks? Did God really say that? Did He really say that you're not allowed to eat from this tree or that tree and all the rest of it? Now, if you actually go back to what God said, the enemy's just twisting it. The enemy loves to plant doubt. He loves to ask questions. Are you sure you heard God right? Was that really Him? I mean, God promised to answer your prayer, but I don't see an answer to prayer anywhere around, do you? Maybe God forgot you. Maybe God's ignoring you. Maybe God just doesn't like you. I mean, I mean, are you sure that God said that your body's a temple and you're supposed to treat it that way? Are you sure? Are you sure God said that there was an order to relationships and your sexuality, that you're supposed to get things in the right order for your own good? Are you, are you sure that's what He said? Are you absolutely positive God said you're supposed to pay your taxes? I don't know about that one, right? Are you, are you sure that's what He said? He asks the question. He begins to twist it. And then he whispers, that can't be right. That's not true. You're the exception. It's okay for you to do whatever you want to. You can do whatever you want with your body. After all, it's yours, right? You can decide if you want to pay taxes or not. It doesn't matter. You can ignore God's standards. Don't worry about it. God doesn't know what He's talking about. God's a cosmic killjoy. He wants to steal your fun and rob all of your joy. I mean, seriously, come on, man. Just live a little. Anybody ever heard that stuff before? He tempts you to doubt God's Word. Secondly, He tempts you to deny God's Word. What does the enemy say? You won't surely die. Even though God said if you ate of that tree, you were going to die, you, you won't surely die. God's bluffing. Come on. God doesn't know what He's talking about. You're not going to die if you eat from the tree. He just tempts you to deny God's Word just a little bit, and then He wraps it all up nice and tight when He gets you to disobey God's Word. Because what's the tragedy of the story? The tragedy of the story is this. The Bible says she took some of it and she ate it. Eve got sucked in. She bought the lie that God couldn't be trusted. And what was her prize? She got shame. That's what she got. She hid and Adam hid, and we've been hiding ever since, haven't we? She bought the lie. The consequences are still being felt today. Let's jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament because I want you to understand how classic these old lies are and also how relevant they are in our modern day and age. In Matthew chapter 4, we find the same lie but a different story. Let's, let's listen to this one. It's not even in your program. Just listen to this as Jesus deals with the lies of the enemy himself. The Bible says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 
The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift up their hands and so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I like that. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I'll give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I hope it's comforting for you to know that Jesus had to deal with the same lies that you have to deal with. That He wasn't immune, but that in His humanity and His deity, that He had to deal with the same accusing whisper in His life. He knows exactly how it feels to hear that whisper in the back of your head that entices you to go a different way. And if you take apart this passage, if you dissect this part from Matthew chapter 4, you can just hear the lies. The first four verses, you hear the lie. You can't trust God to provide. I mean, the enemy says it to him. Come on, Jesus, you're hungry. You've been out here fasting. That's a good spiritual thing, right? Look at how far you've come. Now you're hungry. Come on, Jesus. Take matters into your own hands. What's, the, well, what's God your Father doing? He didn't even bring bread along for you? Come on. Take care of it. I know you can. It's the way the enemy talks to Jesus. How does he do it with us? Come on, Grant. Just look after yourself, man. Forget about everybody else. Let them worry about their own problems, right? God doesn't have your back. I mean, seriously, you're actually hungry. Doesn't that show you that he's sleeping on the job? He doesn't love you. You can't trust him to provide. Come on. First four verses, you can't trust God to provide. The next three verses, verses five through seven, you hear the enemy saying, you can't trust God to save you. And you can just hear him, come on, Jesus, just throw yourself down. It'll be a great illustration, right? Just chuck yourself off. There's even a Bible verse that should make you feel better about what you're going to do. Come on, Jesus, you're fine. Let's find, just how, uh, find out just how tough you really are. How does that work out for us? It goes like this for me. Come on, Grant. You can't really trust God to save you, can you? I mean, you've got to learn how to save yourself. I know God promised that He was going to save you, but, but are you sure? Are you absolutely positive? Get the last couple of verses in Matthew chapter 4, you can hear the last lie, which is you can't trust God to be enough. The enemy says to Jesus, come on, Jesus, you, you don't really believe that all this stuff belongs to God, do you? I mean, surely it's not all His. And if it's not God's, then surely it could belong to you. How does that work out? I'll tell you how it works out for me. It goes like this. Come on, Grant, come get some. Come and help yourself to all of the stuff that's going to fill that hole in your soul. Work for it. Strive for it. Get on the treadmill. Just work as hard as you possibly can. Seriously, it's going to satisfy you. Worship stuff. Find a new idol. Put all of your energy and your passion in it. Let it consume you because, come on, Grant, God can't be trusted to be enough. You need a car, too. You need a big screen, too. 
That'll satisfy you, won't it? This is tough stuff, isn't it? It's not going to get any easier. Because the lies haven't really changed over the years. I listed in your outline three areas where we struggle to trust God and we buy the lie. One of the areas I hear about all the time, hear it in my own life, is regards to our identity. When we don't believe who God says we are, what we're really saying is, I don't trust who God says I am. Even though God says we're dearly loved children of God, even though we hear that, we buy the lie. We buy the lie that the devil uses when he says we're failures, frauds, and flakes. That's all you are. You're all failures. You're all frauds. Just a bunch of hypocrites. Go home. Don't even bother worshiping because Jesus knows the truth, and he says he knows the truth too. Even though God says our past identity of sin and brokenness has been removed, how far? As far as the east is from the west, that far away, even though we hear that, even though we know we've been forgiven and restored by Jesus, we still just struggle to believe, is it really true? Can I really be forgiven? How do we know that? I'll prove it to you. We buy that lie when we say that we're forgiven by Jesus and then we refuse to forgive ourselves. That's how the lie works. What's another area besides identity? What about the area of finances? Oh, man, some of you are going, do you have to go here? Let's, all right? When we don't do our stuff financially the way God wants us to, I'm going to tell you what you're saying. You're saying, I don't trust God's plan. Even though we hear it, I mean, usually two weeks a year, the pastor gets up at the front of Christ the King and we got to have the money talks, Right? And we use the same scriptures, Malachi 3, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not even have enough room for it. Even though we hear it, what's the very first thing that disappears when time gets times get tight? God's stuff. Just so we're clear, I know you're tired of hearing me say it, it ain't your stuff. God's stuff. We feel the pinch. We demand control. We get all freaked out. We actually get angry at God because He's not there, right? He's not coming up with His part of the bargain. My life was supposed to be easy. I was this whole Jesus thing was supposed to make my life simple. Where's my Mercedes? That's what we say, right? We make our own plan, and our faith just goes out the window. Let's just be honest for a moment. When we decide to create our own economy and do finances our way instead of God's way, this is exactly what we're saying. We're saying, I don't trust God or His plan. What about the last area there? What about relationships? What about those moments when we say, I don't trust God to fix my relationships? I mean, how does this one work? It kind of works like this. I mean, our relational world, gets, it just gets a little messed up. We ask God for help in this form. God, would you fix everybody else? Would you look after everybody else's relational problems? Because after all, I'm right, and they're wrong. And if you just help them get with the program as to how we're supposed to be doing this, then everything will be fine. Right? We ask God for help, but we don't do any of the work we need to do. We, we want the quick fix. We want God just to jump in and take care of stuff immediately. 
And when it doesn't happen, we come to one conclusion. God can't be trusted to fix this one. This one's beyond His control. He, he can take care of all the other stuff, but He can't touch this one. So we take matters into our own hands. We try to make it work on our own. We put ourselves in the center of the relationship. We take Jesus out of the center of the relationship. And then we wonder why we end up with broken hearts and disposable relationships. Are we talking the truth tonight? Talking the truth right now? I mean, it's just tough. I'd love to be able to tell you that I was immune from this. But I saw all three of these last week. I'm sitting in my office and, and I'm, I'm writing out this message. And for those of you who know my story and where I've come from, the fact that I've held up a sign in front of all of you here that said the word liar on it, the enemy loves to step into my office and go, uh, just exactly who do you think you are doing a series on lies? because I know who you are, and you're a liar. So you just close your mouth, shut your Bible, and go home before you do too much damage. That's how it works for me when it comes to my identity. I'm going through a stack of financial reports from our church. We made it through the summer. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. But it's tight right now. I mean, it's crazy tight, and I'm sitting there trying to put this stuff together, and all I can hear in the back of my mind is the lie, you can't trust God. He's just going to let you down. There's never going to be enough. I've got friends all around me in relational pain. They sit in my office, they cry, and this is what I have to say to them. You have to trust God. You have to trust God. And I hear the voice in the background. That's the best you've got? That's it? You're just going to tell them to trust God? What are they supposed to do with that? I got all twisted up in a web this week. So maybe this series isn't going to be for anybody else except for me. Kind of feel like I did when I do here in Whatcom County. I mean, I'm a Manitoba boy, right? I moved here to Whatcom County. I had never been assaulted by a spider web until I moved to Whatcom County. <laughs> do you guys know what I'm talking about? You're just out for a walk, minding your own business, and all of a sudden it comes in like right across your face, and all of a sudden it's right? And then in my brain, I'm just like, is it on me? Is it on me? Right? Laurel, get it off, right? Right? I knew it, right? Yeah, that's how it works. I was out for a walk this week, and I got assaulted by an invisible spider web. I mean, it just hits me in the face, and suddenly I'm just like spinning like a top. One second you're not in the web, and the next second you're in the web. I mean, it's got you, right? So let's just stop for a minute. With everything that I've said thus far, let's be honest. Are you in the web? Have you bought the lie? Can you say you really, really trust God, but the truth is? Maybe, maybe not. I know some of you are thinking, this is not very encouraging. <laughs> is he always like this? What's the deal, man? Like, 
Thanks, Barnabas. Appreciate the pat on the back. I really feel like going and doing it this week, right? You know? Let's switch gears. Because the enemy's gotten a little bit too much press tonight and too much attention. So let's start talking about Jesus, okay? Let's start talking about Jesus because the Bible says that the lies of the enemy can be defeated. In fact, the Bible describes in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, that there is going to be a triumph of the truth. It starts with the word they. And in case you know who the they is, the they is the saints, which means someday that's going to be us. And this is what the Bible says about the liar and to the liar. It goes like this. It says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Let me ask some questions, Christ the King. Who provided the blood of the lamb that defeats the lies of the enemy? I'll answer it for you. Jesus did. Who do we testify about Christ, at Christ the King Community Church? We testify about Jesus. Who gave his life so we don't have to fear death? Jesus did. Who could expise, expose the lies of the enemy with the truth of who he is? That would be Jesus. Who defeated the devil with scripture in the wilderness? That would be Jesus, and that's a clue. That's how he's defeated. Do we understand that? Who can provide for you, save you, and be more than enough for you? There's only one answer of Christ the King Community Church. It's the guy we named the church after, and that would be Jesus. One of my favorite shows is Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe. Anybody have seen the show? Love the show. We're doing a series in January called Dirty Jobs. If you've got one, I need to know about it because we want to come and video you. I'll be Mike Rowe. You can do whatever nasty thing you have to do, and we'll, yeah, okay, all right? But Mike Rowe is working on the beach, and he's wrangling snakes. He just doesn't know that much about the snake. So he goes up and grabs one, and it turns around and latches onto his arm, and he actually starts laughing. I'm thinking, you're nuts. Why are you laughing? You've got a snake attached to your arm. Then he shares this. The snake ain't got no fangs. Christ the King, the enemy of your soul, Satan can bite you and draw blood, but he can't kill you because Jesus took his fangs. Do we understand that? Say, where'd you get that from? Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? It's been swallowed up by the truth of the blood of the Lamb. Let me share with you the identity of the truth. Jesus says this in John chapter 8. The Bible says, Jesus talking, yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason we do not hear, the reason you do not hear, is that you do not belong to God. There it is for you right there. Jesus is the truth. He's the exact opposite of the lie you've been told. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to Jesus' dad unless you go through Jesus first. You don't need to get stuck in the web of the lie that God can't be trusted. In fact, you don't walk out with anything else tonight, get this. God is the only one you can trust. He's the only one you can't trust. He's the only one that can save you and provide for you and protect you and watch over you. All that other stuff, it's a lie. God's the only one 
So that's the truth for today. That's the truth that I hope someday I die with it being on my lips. You can trust God. See, how can that happen? How can I trust God today? The Bible says this in Romans chapter 10. The Word of God speaking to all of us, and it says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. We don't need to bite the same piece of fruit that Eve did. We don't need to win the prize of shame. We don't need to buy the lie. We can choose to live in the truth and walk in the truth and worship in the truth. I can't talk about this unless I give you an opportunity today, right now, to trust God. You can't do it. The ultimate act of trust is when you reject the lie that God can't be trusted and instead you trust Him with your whole life. I know it can be scary because the truth is this. With all of the lies we're going to talk about, we get really comfortable with them. It's like they're part of us. We just believe them. Today, if you've never trusted Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to hand it all over to Him because He's the truth. The truth will set you free. And in trusting Him with your whole life, you're shattering the lie that God can't be trusted. So I'm going to ask everybody here at the Bellingham campus, everybody at the Ferndale campus, would you bow your heads and pray with me right now? I have no idea what's going on in your heart right now. But if tonight is the night, if today is the day, if this moment is the moment when it's time for you to step over and fully trust God, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer with me deep in your heart. Would you pray it with me? Jesus, I bought the lie. I've never trusted you with everything. I, I thought I could do life on my own. I thought I could do it my way. And so, Jesus, I'm asking you, would you forgive me? Would you forgive my sin, cover my past? Would you take complete control of me? I don't want to buy the lie anymore. I want to live in the truth, your truth. I believe you can forgive me. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died and rose again for me. So right now, I put my complete trust in you. I receive you as Lord and Savior of my life. I believe that I can fully trust God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you prayed that prayer, I'm never going to do anything to embarrass you. But sometimes when we make these really, really deep decisions, it helps just if somebody else knows. 
So whether you're at the Bellingham campus, the Ferndale campus, it doesn't matter. But if you prayed that prayer and gave your life to Jesus, you're saying, I fully trust Him. Would you just slip your hand up in the air? Nobody's looking around. Just slip your hand up in the air so that I can see it. God bless you and you and you. And God bless you and you and God bless you. And God bless you and God bless you. God bless you right up here at the front. God bless you. God bless those of you at the Ferndale campus too. God bless you. God bless you way in the back. I see you. Jesus, thank you. The truth will set us free. I pray for my new brothers and sisters in Christ who've now crossed the line of faith. They've exchanged the truth for a, or changed a lie for the truth, God. Lord, would you help them? As they begin to walk, would you allow us to walk alongside of them? God, may this be a defining moment in their life, right here, right now. God, we lift them before you. We trust them to you, knowing there is no safer place that they can be. So, Lord, we pray for them in Jesus' name. We cover them in Jesus' name. We pray faith, hope, and peace on their lives in Jesus' name. And all of God's people agreed together and said, Amen. Amen. Amen.